0: Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Well, howdy, everybody. It's weird because you're kind of over there and you're kind of over there at the same time, Um, but I will struggle through. All right, well, I'm James, and just very glad to be here with you this morning. Um, I'm going to be preaching through um, Acts chapter 6, and this is very cool because it gives us something we don't often see in Acts. It gives us a look at the inner life of the church. Acts is a lot about the church going out and the gospel going out and the gospel advance, which is hugely exciting, um, but it doesn't uh, tell us a lot about what happens in the church, but occasionally we do get those little glimpses. And it's both inspiring, um, seeing just like the amazing way that God moves uh, through his church to impact uh, entire cultures, Um, seeing the way God shows up in a prayer meeting and like shakes the room and fills them all with faith. And it's also kind of comforting because we see um, that even though it was this amazing church and God was doing incredible things, still um, things went wrong. There were divisions. There were problems. Um, So they're not like a different species of people. They're just people like us. They have their problems. And uh, it reminds us that you could only have a a rose-colored view of the early church. Oh, it was so perfect. If you steadfastly avoid reading the Bible. If you read the Bible, you see that that's not true at all. Okay, well, I just want to pray for us, and then we'll get into it. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you've already been speaking, that you've been Uh, providing comfort, and that you've been providing encouragement, you've been providing strength, Lord. And we pray that you would continue to do that, and that you would give us eyes to uh, see, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and uh, hands and feet to go and do, Lord. Amen. All right, well, I'm just going to read out of Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. So here we go. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, briefly, those Hellenists, these are Jewish Christians, but they don't live in the Holy Land. They don't live around Jerusalem. They live around the Roman Empire. Uh, they speak Greek as their normal everyday language, they worship in Greek, they go to Greek synagogues. And the Hebrews refers to Jewish Christians who do live around Jerusalem or the, the Holy Land. And their language of worship and their language of everyday life is Aramaic. And so between these two groups, there's definitely a language barrier. There's probably a bit of a cultural barrier as well. Although because they're both Jewish and they're both Christian, um, they have a lot in common. Now, the widows that are referred to, so why, if the Hellenists live all over the Roman Empire, are there a bunch of Hellenist widows in Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem, for Jews, was kind of like Florida. When you got old and you retired, you went back to Jerusalem so that you could be close to the temple and uh, be near to God in that sense. And often, uh, men die first, so there would be all these women that are there, uh, widows uh, who have no real means of support and would rely on the community around them. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers and sisters, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, I just want to flag, I don't think the twelve apostles were turning up their noses at the idea of serving tables. Uh, what they say is it's not right, which means it's not fitting, it's not appropriate. And why isn't it fitting or appropriate? Well, because the 12 have received a commission from Jesus to go and preach the gospel. That's what they're supposed to be doing. That's their main concern. And in fact, if you look back at Acts to Acts chapter 4, it seems that up till now, the apostles have in fact been waiting on tables. It says in uh, chapter 4, it says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, actually chapter 2, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any who had need. So the apostles have been doing this work, um, but now there's just so many people, there's all all these widows, um, and there's problems arising that they realize, man, we're trying to do too much at once. So what they do is they... Um, get a team of people to take, help take the load off of them. So the apostles can devote themselves to ministering the word of Jesus and to prayer, and these seven hand-picked men can devote themselves to ministering the food to the people that need it in the church. This is the fitting response to the situation, a division of labor. Different parts of the church serving in different ways. Verse 5. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So there's a couple of striking things about this list of names. First of all, um, we probably recognize Stephen and Philip. These guys are heavy hitters. They have Good chunks of the book of Acts devoted to them, in fact. They may have had a practical ministry here, but they were as full of wisdom and as full of the Holy Spirit's power as the apostles were. Um, In the very next chapter, Stephen's about to go out in a blaze of glory, uh, preaching the gospel, performing amazing miracles, and challenging the Jewish ruling council uh, in a real prophetic way, which will result in him um, being stoned to death. And then Philip, in the aftermath of the the, uh, persecution uh, that follows all of that, he will go around preaching the gospel in Samaria and various other places and seeing hundreds, thousands of people being saved. So these are not lightweights. These are not just bean counters. These are people filled with the power of the Spirit. And secondly, these are all Greek names. Um, The apostles are all Hebrews, um, to use the terms of this passage, not Hellenists. But they hand over a pretty big, chunky ministry, and a ministry that's to both Hebrew and Hellenist widows. They hand it all over to the Hellenists in the church. And this is what one commentator says. He says, Those with political power generally repress complaining minorities. Here the apostles hand the whole system over to the offended minority. So the apostles just have this wonderful open handedness open-heartedness, and generosity with their power. They're not afraid to give it away in that sense. Verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So the outcome of what the apostles do in terms of giving away their power, doing a division of labor, is that the church continues to grow, the church continues to prosper, the word continues to go out, people continue to respond to the word and become disciples of Jesus. The revival in Jerusalem continues in amazing ways. And this little snapshot of uh, the church in Jerusalem reveals something. And it reveals that the people in the church are a high priority, particularly the poor and neglected people within the church. Now, what is the mission of the church? Well, the mission of the church was stated by Jesus. The mission of the church is to go and to make disciples and baptize them and teach them to follow Jesus. That's the mission of the church. And the proclamation of Jesus Christ to the world is a core part of that mission. And we can never forget about that. The apostles do indeed put down the food distribution so that they can do this part of the mission, so that they can proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And if the church simply becomes a social organization and doesn't proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the one uh, through whom all men can be saved, if we don't do that, then the church has lost its way. And yet the church led by the twelve disciples, entrusts the food distribution to men who are practical and spiritual powerhouses, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And in fact, the apostles stopped what they were doing, got everybody together, had a huge meeting, because this was so important. And the reason that this is so important, even though it's not part of the gospel proclamation, is that the people are the mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He gathers up the weary and heavy laden. He says, I will give you rest. We've heard some of that today in the prophetic words. He proclaimed his mission as being good news to the poor and freedom to the oppressed. So we don't stop caring for people once they start or once they come to faith and join the church. Part of the mission is caring for the church because the church is the disciples of Jesus. So we proclaim the word to reach the, the disciples of Jesus that, that, that don't know they're disciples of Jesus yet, in a sense. But we also uh, devote um, a lot of resources to discipling the church, to caring for the church. And simply loving people, because Jesus loves the church. We need to see the heart of Jesus for his own. I want to uh, look at John chapter 13. And what's happening here is Jesus is about to celebrate the Passover feast with his 12 disciples. They're in the upper room um, that they have found. It's all set up. And we'll start at John 13, verse 1. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And skipping ahead to verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do As I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Or uh, as uh, J.B. Phillips said in his translation, you will find your happiness in doing them. So when we serve each other in the church, we do what Jesus did. And when the stronger and the wiser serve, the weaker and the more foolish, we're doing like Jesus did. Verse 1 says, Jesus loved his disciples to the end. How did he do that? By washing their feet. Doing the job of a slave. And why did he do that? Was it because Jesus had this big background in foot washing? Was he the one who just had the most skills and the most talent in this particular area, so he was the appropriate one to set apart to do this task? No. Jesus' purpose was twofold. First, this is a sign. Jesus has served all of us like a humble slave. He died in our place so that we could be clean and have eternal life with God. Second, this is an example for Jesus' disciples, the 12 who were in front of him, but all of us here today who would say we're Jesus' disciples. It's an example for us to follow. And when we see in Acts the apostles serving the poor of the church by distributing the food, and then when that's no longer feasible, giving up their power to raise up others to do the distribution, we see the church following Jesus' example. And there's happiness in it. There's joy in it because the church prospers and the church grows. And we are called to do likewise. Trinity Central, we are called to take a humble position and serve those who need help. There are people who need help, and our job is to help them. And praise God, we are a church that is and does serve each other. Uh, we do that in informal ways, um, We provide meals to families who have just had a baby. Uh, We visit people when they're sick, uh, provide people's um, meals when they are isolating because of COVID, um, helping people move. You know, there's life group meetings that happen every week where people are together and they're encouraging each other and they're watching each other with the word and they're praying for each other and they're just listening to each other and just helping each other in myriad practical ways. And there's there's ways that we are serving each other formally. We've got the pastoral team led by the Duggans who serve people wonderfully in prayer ministry. Um, We've got a prayer team that prays for people's specific needs um, because prayer is practical. Does God answer prayer? Does he? Does God answer prayer? Well, he does. And that's why prayer is practical. Prayer is one of the most amazing ways that we can love each other and serve each other. We serve each other through prayer. Even if we can't get at somebody, if somebody is across the world or they're isolating or whatever, prayer reaches them because the power of God can reach them. Um, We've got other things that we've already heard about. The cat money course is starting in a few weeks. The marriage course has about 20 couples signed up, which is amazing. Um, and that's starting soon. I know there's, there's, some, there's stuff bubbling up. There's talk of like, ooh, what can we do in the area of parenting, helping families in that way? Um, and there's just other things that I know are happening. They're like how, could we have, like, how can we help single moms that have babies, things like that? There's stuff that's percolating through. And you know, what we do won't be perfect. This is what I love about this passage. Look at this. The apostles screwed it up. The apostles messed it up. They were supposed to be preaching, but they were doing all this food distribution, so they weren't doing the preaching they should be doing. The food distribution wasn't working that well either. You know? So if the 12 apostles, full of the Spirit and power and wisdom, can mess it up, we can mess it up to you, and we will. But that's okay, because we do it in love. If they got it wrong, we can get it wrong. But also, if they can get it right, which they did, eventually, we can get it right by the power of the Spirit. Because loving the people of Jesus is the mission, because the people are the mission. And that means discipling people in finance, discipling people in relationships, like marriage, discipling people in work, discipling people in their sexuality, discipling, discipling in prayer, discipling people in caring for their family, discipling people in the Word of God, discipling people in worship. All of this is mission. All of this is mission, and it's so close to Jesus' heart, and it's so important. Okay, well, I just want to wrap up here. Ben, I wonder if you want to come up. Okay, I just want to finish here. Looking at John chapter, or chapter 13, still but verse 33. So this is still part of the same conversation where Jesus washes their feet. And this is what Jesus says. He says, My children, speaking to the twelve apostles, I will be here with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. People will know that we are Jesus' disciples, Jesus says, if we love one another. True disciples of Jesus love one another in practical ways. I love this from the book of James. James two fourteen to 16, he says this. He says, what use is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without cl- uh, clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? What use is that? No use. It's no use at all. That kind of faith is dead, James says. Living faith in Jesus expresses itself in practical love. Now Jesus washed the disciples' feet, but he's done a lot more than that for us. He's removed the grime of sin and death and evil from us. He's washed us from head to toe, and he's dressed us in beautiful garments. He's he's clothed us in his righteousness and loved us in a way that really we can never repay. We can't repay it, but we can pass it on. We can pass it on in acts of practical love and kindness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a way of life for God's people. By loving Christ's body in practical ways, Jesus says, we are loving Christ himself. What you've done for the least of these, you have done for me, he says in Matthew 25. And hear me, it goes beyond the church as well. The people are the mission, And there are lots of people that Jesus died for who aren't his disciples yet. John 10, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. So there's people in this place, in Vancouver, in the areas beyond, whose hearts the Holy Spirit is stirring, and they're looking for Jesus, even if they don't know what his name is, because the Holy Spirit is stirring their hearts but they will recognize the one they were looking for in the church if we love one another. They will know you are my disciples if you love one another. They'll say, I'm looking for someone and I think you know him because the way that you love one another. That is the way Jesus said it would work. Jesus means his church. Jesus means Trinity Central and all his churches in Vancouver, all his churches around the world to shine like a light into the darkness around them, to shine like a city on a hill, to shine like a light on a stand. And we shine the light of Jesus' love when we serve one another, when we give up our power so other people can flourish, when we practically love one another. You know, we're doing the marriage course and the cat money course to bless the disciples of Jesus within the church, but also in prayer, hoping to bless people that aren't in the church. For all those who Jesus loves that aren't in the church. We want these courses and other things like them to be a way that people can be blessed by the love of Jesus, to be practically helped. And our hope is that as people are blessed by the body of Jesus Christ, the church, they will encounter Jesus himself. And they'll put their trust in him. And by believing in him, they will have life in his name. Why don't you just pray with me? Holy Spirit, We thank you for the love that you put into our hearts when we turn to Jesus, when we put our faith in him. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you love us so much, that Jesus loves us so much. We thank you that we don't have to do anything. We don't have to do any of the things I said today. And Jesus will still love us 100% without fail. He'll never let us go. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your love is so incredible. But Lord Jesus, because your love is so incredible, we want to share it. We want to share it with uh, those in the church. We want to share it with those outside of the church. So Lord Jesus, we pray, help us. Help us to be a light. Help us to shine uh, to the people around us. Help us just to love one another as you love us, Lord. Amen.